Aptus Podcast, episode 125. Special guest interview, Mr. Josh Dreyer. Man, we're in for a treat today. I'm, I'm sitting in the media room, just got done doing this recording with Josh, and he blew my mind on so many fronts Listen to him. You know, Josh is one of these guys that's leading at the highest level, but he has some of the deepest humility. And we have an interesting conversation today where we talk about the dynamics of staff pastoring. When I got into lead pastoring, I got a question that was actually kind of an odd question, I thought. I was like, man, this is kind of a weird question. But people would ask, what's harder, lead pastoring or staff pastoring? Now, I've only been lead pastoring for four years, but even with COVID, even with staff changes, even with budget restraints, even with failed initiatives, four years in, I might change my mind at 20, but four years in, I'm saying staff pastoring is harder than lead pastoring. There's just not abundance of conversations that help you navigate some of the different dynamics that you're going to experience. And so today, I think Josh does a great job of that. Just getting to hear his heart and his approach to ministry was a blessing to me, and I think it's going to be a blessing to you. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Josh Dreyer. Thanks so much, Pastor Austin. Super excited to be with you and your staff and uh, talking about something that I'm passionate about, and that's being a staff pastor and serving my pastor and helping the local church uh, reach more people and form people in the likeness of Christ. So thanks for the invitation. So Josh, it's awesome just to get to talk to you for a little bit. Uh, if you don't mind, man, just tell us a little bit about yourself. If you had four minutes to tell me your life story, what would it be? Yeah, so I'm incredibly blessed with an amazing family that I love so dearly. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I have been married for 12 years. Uh, we met uh, uh, at kids camps here in Oklahoma, and uh, that's kind of the life that we've uh lived is is just uh loving kids loving the local church and and uh our family and so we have three beautiful kids Nora's eight zeke seven and hallie is four they're all born in alaska but uh man i i born and raised oklahoman uh kind of your quintessential church kid who grew up going to church um and felt the call of ministry at a young age about 13 uh when when i was at camp uh, a lot, a lot of my life is uh, my, my, I say my early spiritual life, I should say, was centered around camp. Just those moments where you get away and kind of consecrate yourself, if you will, to the Lord. Um, but uh, called in the ministry, grew up in a small church of about twenty to thirty people, adults. But we had a robust youth ministry as we were down the street from a high school and middle school, and so. Uh, in that, uh, with that, there weren't a lot of opportunities, uh, mentorship, development, things like that. So as mm -hmm. I the call to ministry, I had to kind of look for opportunity. And so the first part of that was was Oklahoma District Camps Kids Ministry. And then uh, just being available, I, the Lord has just blessed me with opportunities. So from there, I interned at Pakistani Assembly uh, for about six months and then uh, landed in Springfield at James River Leadership College. Um which was a massive, massive move for a small kid at, at a at a small church, but uh, incredible uh, season of my life. Came on staff as a associate kids pastor there for mm. three years. Uh, Lindsay and I got married in that time. Uh, so I was finishing my degree, working at the church at the same time. Uh, then we sensed God moving us and we pastored in Florida for a season. And then from there, um, went, uh, felt God calling us to Alaska. Uh, that, that's a longer story, an important story, but I've got four minutes and I've probably used yeah. two and a half. Uh, no, you're good. But, uh, so we became kids, all, all these positions were kids pastors, uh, became a kids pastor in Alaska, moved up there. Lindsay was seven months pregnant. 
And uh, just an incredible, incredible season of our life. Uh, in the six years of pastoring there, uh, transitioned to an executive pastor as the church grew. And so as the church grew, roles opened up, uh, holes needed to be filled, and I was available in there. And um, my pastor and I had a great working relationship. And uh, about the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic, uh, just since God's transitioning us, and that was hard. You know, we weren't kids in ministry anymore. We were passionate about things that the Lord laid on our heart. And so I made a phone call uh, trying to find a, a church in Oklahoma who would hire in a pandemic. And uh, I started off by saying middle of pandemic, yeah. but uh, that was the beginning of the pandemic. So anyway, uh, Darren uh, and Michelle invited us to be a part of their staff. And uh, we're super excited to be here. And uh, we're passionate about discipleship. We're passionate about spiritual formation, uh, soul care. And uh, that's kind of the things that the Lord's laid on our heart. And so now we've said, Lord, we give we give the, we give give our lives to you to see this in, in people, uh, see people formed and transformed in your likeness. And so we're excited about it. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you obviously have a diverse you know, background in ministry and everything. And I think that's going to be great for what we're talking about today. Man, I love this question. And one of these I sent to you, when's a moment that God was so real to you that it just absolutely changed your life? You know, was it a young age? Has it been a ministry? You know, what was that season like for you? Yeah, I think one of the most formative seasons for me or, or I, I, when I when I share my walk with the Lord, I share about a, a Jonah experience that I had. And that was early on as a young adult in my 20s where I knew I was called to ministry, but I was running from it. So I actually pursued a degree in sports broadcasting, mass communication, because I was running from the call. Didn't know how, what that looked like or what it was going to be. Um, and so um, I was I was living uh, with a guy from my church and just wasn't making good choices, wasn't, you know, all in. You know, I was kind of half in. I was still going to church and doing things, but I wasn't all in. And I actually got a hold of I, I found this on my my bookshelf yesterday, actually. So this is a journal that I found called A Life Worth Following. I used to work at the uh, Bricktown Ballpark when the Rangers were there and uh, they had these up on the concourse one day, and it's an eight-week devotional about a high school baseball player who lived his life uh, with Jesus in front of his teammates, died tragically in a car accident, and it's just a day-by-day -day journal. And so I began to walk through it, and I have vivid, I have vivid visual pictures of myself sitting in my desk in my room at the house and walking through that and giving myself to the Lord and praying and saying, God, I want to be all in. I don't want to be lukewarm. And so I would say that's the moment that I went all in for Jesus and, and started pursuing ministry, whatever that looked like. And that, that was a foundational important moment because uh, that's, that's when I, I devoted myself really to the Lord and doors began opening and, you know, it hasn't been a perfect journey since then, but it was the start. And, and um, it, that's when I kind of solidified my life to Christ. And uh, it was, it was an invaluable moment in my life for sure. When, when it's come to ministry, how many times have you gone back to that moment during the hard times, you know, as an anchor saying, Lord, I know what you did when I was sitting at that desk, I can see myself. And because of that, I'm going to press through this difficult season in ministry. Is that, has that happened for you a lot or. I, I remember it. And it's probably less in the context of ministry and more in the context of me being a follower of Christ. And I think that has to be the basis and foundation of everything that we do, right? Uh, yes, we're called into ministry and whatever role that is. But first and foremost, I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah. And so 
I go back on that as my moment of saying, God, I'm here. Uh, and I want to follow you. Now, I didn't know what that, my, my I've, I've learned so much and grown so much. I didn't know exactly what that meant there, but it was me, my consecration to. So, so personally, relationally with Jesus, first and foremost, um, and, and in, in my years of ministry, I've kind of gotten away from that at times because the mm. pastor title has probably jumped the follower of Christ title and you've got to get that correct and balanced. And so I, 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 I look back at that to say, man, that's where this all began and Lord helped me to keep it in balance in terms of, you know, follower of Christ first, I'm a husband, to Lindsay, I'm dad to Nora, Zeke and Hallie, and then I'm a pastor. That's good. Cause any other sequence of those things, it's just all going to fall apart. Like every single one of those things will fall apart when we get out of sequence. That's so good. That really leads into our next question. You know, what are some of the core values that you have when you're approaching your role as a staff pastor? Cause I think there's a unique challenge, as I said at the very beginning, you know, when it comes to being on staff at a church and, and you've been several places and I think you've had great working relationships with your lead pastors in the church, you know, so what are some of the values that have helped facilitate that for you? Yeah, because I grew up in a small church that didn't have staff pastors. My pastor was bivocational, so it wasn't necessarily modeled to me. So when I landed at James River, um, you know, you have 300 staff. Uh, I was on the kids team and we had 15 people just on our elementary kids team. It was an organizational leadership you know, drinking from a fire hydrant experience for me, really. And so I was so young in ministry, I, you know, not understanding the leadership side of things. Um, I learned the lesson of serving your senior pastor from, from the elementary pastor there, my boss, Clint Wells. I learned so much from him in that. You know, there's things that maybe, you know, and, and, and it, being on a staff, you don't always agree with your pastor and agree with decisions made. You know, those are conversations that happen in offices or in rooms. And then, you know, honoring and, and rightfully so you walk out um, respectful and honoring. But I was so young, you know, I was in my early 20s. And so I was questioning things that was happening in the church. And and Clint really helped me understand. He said, man, you know what? I may have desires and and, and wants for, for us to do something, but my role is to lift the arms of John and Debbie Lindell. And that was the first time that I learned that as a staff pastor, you're there to be a blessing to the lead pastor and to lift their arms in ministry. And so that was kind of the foundation. I'm grateful for that because that helped kind of project everything. You know, I, um, I, I feel like one of my greatest gifts is to serve a lead pastor. Um, I, I feel like the giftings that the Lord's given me in administration and in vision and leading is really to take what the senior leader has and disperse that, share that, communicate that. Uh, that's culture, that's vision, that's so many things. So I think you've got to be, you've, you've, so then after that role, when I was looking for other roles, the question that I would ask before I moved to a church, do I believe in the senior leader and can I serve his vision? And if I can't, then I shouldn't go. Um, now that's not to say that there, there aren't bumps in the roads and hiccups and things like that. Cause there certainly has been. And following my season at James river early on, when I was in Alaska, I remembered that there was some, some bumps. And so what I, I immediately went and had a conversation with my lead pastor, cause I didn't want roots of bitterness to grow like I had allowed in previous seasons. So I think, you know, serving senior leader. And, and then one of the things that I've learned in this new season, I've been at Spring Creek for three years, is 
For me personally, the difference between being an organizational leader and a, a organizational pastor and a shepherding pastor, and I've served some really amazing organizational leadership pastors who can, you know, plan events and keep everything organized and build systems. And that's great. And that's a dynamic of pastoral leadership. But but what I've learned so much, and I feel like the Lord is, has injected into me over the last three years, because I where I came from, from Alaska, was to understand that the role of a pastor is to be a caregiver of souls. And I recently read a book called um, The Caring of Souls. <laughs> Uh, and it's just part of the journey, but uh, I've, I've used that that um, that visual shepherd a lot over the last three years because I'm learning that caring for people. Um, and I feel like coming into this season of ministry, I was really poor at that. Like my, I wasn't mentored that well. I was mentored how to run a great event and plan and, and recruit people and cast vision, but sitting down and listening and caring for people and not thinking about 15 things in the back of my mind that I should tell them to move them. Um, the Lord has showed me what it looks like to be a shepherd. So this book used the term, and I like this, that we are actually sheepdogs as pastor to the shepherd who is the Lord. And so if you take that visual from a, from a, like a shepherd in say the UK, they have these working sheepdogs with them. And what those dogs are doing are, are listening to the voice of the shepherd of how to guide and direct the sheep and keep them safe. And so they work in tandem. And I just love that visual. I'm a visual learner. And so I'm learning what does that look like to be a shepherd uh, uh, and care for people uh, and, and still be all about the systems and, and the metrics and all those things. I'm wired that way, but the Lord is also leading me in this caring of souls. And so uh, that has been a huge thing for me. And, and, and what I've actually find joy in now more than anything is sitting across the table from somebody or my desk and hearing their story, uh, how God's working in their lives and not trying to fix them, but just listen. Um, and so uh, yeah, man, that's really good. So the tension obviously in that is that we feel this pressure to grow the church. Um, you know, we feel pressured to put on the, the good events, all the things that you just referenced. So how are you personally keeping that in balance? Because the moment that you stop doing some of those things that you need to do organizationally, well, then you don't have the, the platform to help take care and shepherd people. So how do you, how do you keep all that stuff in balance? Yeah, I think the first thing and and something that I've learned to do and, and we're working to do here at Spring Creek is to ask the why, what's the purpose? Yeah. Um, and our context is, uh, you know, and there's some other questions you have coming, but when I came on staff, there was a pastoral transition. The leader, uh, Pastor Ron McCaslin, was here for 33 years. Great leadership. Um, pastor Darren came in pandemic and I showed up two weeks later as his family life pastor. So in, in terms of it, it was a kind of a recalibration, if you will. And and so I've because I've done it at various spots in terms of pastoring and leading and events and things like that is why are we doing this event? What's the heart behind it? Um, and and just some terminology that I've come to learn over the last couple of years is, you know, the, the, we, we say discipleship, but really what is discipleship and, and discipleship is more than getting people involved in church at church 
and serving at church. Those are all great byproducts. But as pastors and spiritual leaders, our first and foremost thing to do is to help people be formed in the likeness of Christ. And so I've kind of adopted the terminology spiritual formation because that's a process versus, you know, and and, and I've been a part of and, and we've had it and I'm not knocking it. But, you know, uh, the growth tracks and the and the different things and growth track. Right. right answers so many things. It's a new believers course. It's a here's the life of our church things. And those are all really good. But I think, and and I'll just speak from my context, we stopped at week four and just let them live in the the life of the church and didn't help form them in the character of Christ and and, and the fruits of the spirit. And so uh, what are the things that we're doing? Because because there's got to be a system to that, right? So, So if my goal is to help people to be formed in the likeness of Christ, then I might spend less time on certain events or things to focus on what's, and we only have so much time of you know, from people that they're willing to give. And so how can we maximize that in, in the direction? And so specifically for this year here at Spring Creek, we felt like the Lord was leading us to really adopting Acts 2.42 as a model, which is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, time around shared meals, and prayer. And so we formed everything then in the system of our church life to lean into that. So spring groups, which are kind of our connect groups, no longer were Bible study driven or sermon-based discussion driven. We said, okay, we want these just to be community hanging out together, building relationships with family and sharing meals, you know, so it is, what's the vision. And then how is the system that you have to fulfill that vision, helping you get to the end goal. And so it's constantly evaluating uh, and tweaking and checking those things to make sure that the heart behind something is helping you actually fulfill the vision and direction that you feel like you're going. And that's really good. And what's so cool about this is all of this has been birthed inside of your heart because mm-hmm. you came and found a leader that you can follow and you can buy in that vision. And now you guys are working in tandem for this. And now here you are where you're learning how to be the sheepdog to this church. And that's, that's super cool, man. I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about like responsibilities, some of the nuts and bolts of staff pastoring. What are some of the, the primary 30,000 foot view responsibilities that a staff pastor is going to have that are probably universal in, in most contexts? I know it's, it's hard to you know paint with a broad brush, but there are some things that we're all responsible for. Yeah, I think first and foremost, obviously, it's just the, the responsibilities that that your leader has given you. But but one of the things that Darren uh, kind of instilled within our team early on is that, you know, we're about building people and building relationships. And so no matter whether you're the kids pastor, the youth pastor, the worship pastor, as a pastor at Spring Creek, your role is to build relationships with people, um, to lead people. And so whatever then how you take those two things and contextualize it to your specific roles you're building relationships with people and you're leading and that leading can be obviously a whole host of things, but, um, but it's, you know, ministry and being a, a pastor is really, I say the people business, right? It's, it's part of that 
being around the sheep and being with the sheep and hearing the sheep and finding out where they're at. And, and you have to fight for that when you might be like, I am driven and bent towards the logistics and the details and the planning and and the dreaming. You have to remember, Hey, I need to build in with my schedule coffee appointments and lunch appointments, or, Hey, we're inviting somebody over to our house tonight. And, and just having that communal relationship um, because that's, that's really the heart of what you do. Absolutely. So what are some mindsets then that help you do that? Um, so you don't get off into the weeds. Um, because again, it's easy to fill that to-do list with, with other, other things than people. So what are some, maybe some mindsets or some tactics that you've taken to, to help you stay on the straight and narrow? Do you have yeah. like a, a weekly review, a monthly review? I mean, do you audit your time? I mean, how, how do you do that? Yeah, I think it's just, um, I'm I'm a big believer in time management and what you have time for, you plan it, right? And so I'm I'm always thinking, okay, now uh, I I might need to be recruiting three or four new spring group leaders, but if I'm not building relational equity with people, then I'm just coming to them, asking them for things, and that's what I'm going to be known for. So uh, I spend a lot of time, I'm intentional with time on Sundays to catch up with people, hug on people, um, you know, find out how they're doing, their kids are doing, send them a text, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, but then scheduling that, right? So making sure that I've got a coffee or two throughout the week and every different weeks and different seasons of the church is different. But, you know, um, I had, a, I had a, a, our seniors pastor in Alaska taught me this principle. He said, I don't say that I'm busy. I say that I have time for everything I plan for. And so oh, man. I, I love uh, just that paradigm. Like, so my, my, my posture isn't, man, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. My posture is I have time for everything I plan. And so um, I, I am in control of my calendar. Everyone has 24 hours. And so I have to be intentional with spending time with people. I learned this when I was a kid's pastor, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and when, when you're a kid's pastor and you're organizing services, it's no different than an adult, just different things. And if the most important time of my service was the altar response, then I had to teach myself to plan from the back end at the end and then build to the beginning. Oftentimes we start from the beginning. Okay, we got a welcome, greet, video announcements, two songs. I said, I'm gonna plan from the back. If I need 15 minutes for this response, okay, there's 15 of my hour. And then I know, okay, then you only have 45 left. What are you gonna do with it? So you have to be intentional at that time. So good. I'm not busy. I have time for everything I plan. Yeah. Man, that's a that's 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 worth the price of admission right there. So, I mean, obviously that's one of the principles you live by your life. Are there, are there any other principles that you say, these are just non-negotiables for me, my leadership, my ministry, me as a Christ follower, you know, top three type principled things for your life? I mean. Yeah, I've always tr- tried to be uh, teachable, you know, and lead from a place of humility. Um, it's really weird. I, I'm actually seeing this in my daughter right now. My daughter, my oldest one, she's eight. And the girl asks more questions than you can ever dream or imagine. And 
just as I have been observing her in that, she just likes to learn and know. Um, that's exactly how I was and how I am. I've learned when's an appropriate time to ask and when is it, it is to wait. Uh, it's it's unharnessed right in her right now. But man, how can I harness that? And so I've just always desired to learn, to grow, and to know. And so um, that the premise of that is a teachable spirit. Okay, so can I be corrected? Can I be um, uh, taught? see my mistakes. And, and one of the things I've noticed actually, and, and so I feel like I've had that, but th- th- it continually takes refining. I feel like over the last couple of years, I've identified that part of, cause I carry this huge um, trait of responsibility, a, a strength, right? I, I carry responsibility very heavily. And so when I'm asked to do something, I want to make sure that I get it done as my senior leader has asked or whatever the leader is above me. Um, and if I don't hit the mark, I carry that weight very heavily. And oftentimes I've missed the mark. And part of my way to respond to that is to justify why I got there. And so what I'm doing is defending myself. And there's 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 sometimes that's good. But what I've noticed is that at times I'm using that in a negative because I care more about how I'm viewed in the situation, how people are perceiving me versus you know, hey, I just dropped the ball and I messed that up. And so that happened recently in an event that we had July 4th. Um, we had planned a handout with some church information on it. We were hosting people for the city fireworks. And part of the post-event review was, man, it'd be really nice to have a, a handout for people to know when our service times are. And I said, and I'm the one leading the meeting, hey, you know what? That's on me. We had planned that. We had talked about it. And I dropped the ball and didn't get it, you know, work with the team to get it printed. And so um, I didn't say, well, I was on vacation the week before and I haven't. Hey, it's on me. And so just having that teachable spirit. Um, uh, and, and then the other thing that I've learned of recent is just how important soul care is. So just as much as we're involved in the life of other people and caring for their souls, our souls have to be cared for too. And when I came to the end of our time in Alaska, I was super burnt. I was super, um, uh, tired and I wasn't caring for my soul. I wasn't practicing Sabbath or solitude. I wasn't learning, uh, leaning out to people and asking for help. And um, I've just learned how important that is for the longevity of ministry. And I think we can get so busy in the life of the church, the events and caring for other people that we forget about it ourselves. And I've learned some really deep spiritual practices from early church fathers um, that are modeled off the way that the Hebrew people lived. And, and it can go back to the beginning, right, uh, of, of how God kind of instituted the, the life for people. And so those practices help us stay centered um, and, and to practice the care of our soul. And, um, you know, going to counseling regularly and and having conversations. And so I just know how much more important that is now than early on when I was just running and gunning and carrying the weight all by myself. That's really good. Let me let me ask you a question on this. Uh, You just referenced counseling. Uh, That is a that was a goal of mine this year was to uh, find a counselor. Uh, It took me six months to find one. And I've only met the guy one time to this point. I'm going to do about four times a year. Um, and I've advocated that for our staff, that that's something they probably should put in practice in their own life. What was your rationale for doing that? Did you, you know, just simply to, to, to maintain or to try to grow? I mean, what, what was the, what was the rationale behind you making that decision? 
Yeah. So part of this three-year journey for me and, and kind of finding out, you know, cause I figured we'd be in Alaska forever, Lindsay and I as well. And there were some interpersonal relationships and just different things that happened uh, in our senior leadership in Alaska. Um, and the way that I explain it is that the grace lifted to serve that leader, but there were some also things internally for me. And so I was processing that. And as I've studied soul care, I realized how much um, mental and interpersonal dynamics are at play and how we process things, how we view things going just even back to like even the home dynamics that I was raised in. So as much as I was raised in a, a Christian church home, um, my parents constantly fought and um, they didn't sleep in the same room together and they didn't really love each other. They just stayed together. And, and so that, that's not who I am, but a lot of that is how I'm shaped. And then other things that happened, like at my first church or in a relationship between Lindsay and I. So I had come to the point where I knew that there were some things that I needed help processing and I couldn't do it on my own. And I think a Christian counselor was somebody who could help me just to begin to talk that out, uh, um, help me process, ask the right questions. Um, so, so there's, there's a dynamic of counseling that I think is important. There's also, um, something called spiritual direction that I've learned and studied, uh, of recent, uh, and spiritual directors are kind of like counselors, but spiritual directors are more so in tune and listening to the Holy spirit on behalf of another person. Um, and, and so, you know, you might go to a spiritual director four times a year just to process, Hey, this is where I feel like the Lord's leading me. They ask questions. They help you process. But the counselors help me process my actions and reactions to certain things. Why am I reacting when my coworker came in? And, and it's because, okay, hey, I identified that I felt taken advantage of. And so processing those, you know, those mental and personality things that just as a pastor that, I, you know, we're, people think we know these things, right? But we, I've, I've always told people and I've learned to tell people, I don't do counseling. I'm not a professional counselor, but I, we, we participate in pastoral care. And what we might do is identify, you know, a, a couple of things in some sessions, but you might need to go see a professional. That's probably a long way to answer that, but, but no, try to unpack that as a whole. So. No, that's really good. And I think you're right on, you know, um, what I'm learning is that I don't necessarily see my own blind spots. And so you need someone else to hold the mirror up and say, Hey, look behind you. You know, this is some things that have happened in your life that are influencing how you're responding here. And without somebody else doing that, we can't see that. And so, man, I, I think that's really, really, really important. Um, when it comes to leadership inside of a church, as I said in the beginning, one of the dynamics that I think is really interesting for a staff pastor is you have this 360 degree rotation of leadership. So you have, you have people underneath you that you have authority over, so to speak, where you're lead volunteers or staff, you have your peers that you're trying to work with, and then you have your senior leader, the authority over you. And, and so you're trying to manage all of those things. And I think in, in some ways you have to lead all three of those groups. You have to get to lead the people underneath you, you have to lead your peer. Uh, and yes, even sometimes I think that the staff is required to lead their senior leader. Um, uh, I need my staff. I need, I need them to direct me sometimes on how to make the right decision. Um, you see this at any level of leadership. One of my favorite things I've ever watched was a documentary on the chief of staff for the president mm -hmm. and the responsibility that that person had 
to help lead the president. And, and they were perhaps the closest advisor that they had. They were normally very, very good friends. Uh, and it's also the fastest turnover rate in government because it's such a high demand job. And, and I think there's a lot of that translates to staff pastoring. So what are some what are some tactics or strategies you have employed to, to have that 360 degree leadership, particularly towards your lead pastor? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's kind of understanding what his leadership style is and uh, trying to ask the questions that he would be asking. Because if I can show up to a meeting or an ideation meeting or planning or or bring some things to him or an, an idea just from the start. If I if I can understand how he thinks and what's important to him, um, then if I'm presenting something, I'm answering those already. And so he feels confident rather than saying, oh, well, you didn't think about this. You didn't think about this. You didn't think about this. So it's really understanding what are the things that are important to him? And then how can I answer that? Or if this thing that's important to him is a concern, how are we addressing that, right? So, you know, for my leader, he's very, uh, obviously relationships or people are really important, but excellence, leading at a high level. And so uh, one of the things that Darren said early on when when we were all learning to be on staff together, because, you know, it was a it was a chaotic time, right, when we all came together, um, was he said, if something's out of place, I'm out of place. <laughs> oh, that's good. And so what that meant is that if if the chairs in the fellowship hall aren't stacked or if they're around tables, but they're chaotic. So my senior leader walks in and he's he's in, in chaos. Thankfully, I'm like that. Uh, so I, I, I've just always been the one that I walk by a table, I straighten things like that. So it's really nice to kind of have some of those things. But I've also had to teach myself other things that, that my senior leader does. So like in Alaska, my senior leader, he grew up on a, a dairy farm in Tilda McOrgan. He was up at 4 a.m. milking the cows and did it again before bed. And so he had a dynamic of hard work, hard work, hard work. And so he just kind of led that way. And so I had to learn, okay, hey, uh, not that I'm afraid of hard work, but kind of match that or get there. And so just understanding how he leads, uh, answer questions, and, and then um, try to see it from his perspective. So, so I, I have a meeting with him actually here pretty soon. And, and rather, one of the things I like to do is just ask questions. Okay, hey, you said this. Uh, what did you mean by that? Help me see why you chose this. What was your thought process and all of that? Um, but then I might also come to him and say, hey, I know that this proposal to you will be concerning, but here's five reasons why I think it would be worth it. And, you know, you 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 gain trust, right? You have change in each other's pocket. And, 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 and one of the things I know that with my leader, Darren, trust is really important. So I don't ever want to break that trust. Um, and so um, being honest and forthright and saying, okay, hey, and, and then also in your culture and in your organization, hey, what I'm proposing is helping fulfill either our three core pillars, which is rescue the lost, redeem families, raise up leaders, or it addresses one of our seven core values. So I'm not running out on my own trying to do something that doesn't go within the vision of the church. Um, and so I think it's like 
in, in kids ministry, I just learned that, that as a kid's pastor, I didn't have five core values that were different from the church core values. If our church core values were rescue lost people, next generation, uh, community involvement, uh, gospel centered teaching, I was then creating our kids ministry to lean into those four or five things or whatever they were, because we were a kids ministry of uh, True North Church or Spring Creek Assembly. So I'm not doing my own thing. I'm saying, how can I contextualize it into what my senior leader desires? Man, that's really good. And what I hear you saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have taken a personal ambition, uh, a personal responsibility, uh, dare I say, a personal burden to make your relationship with your senior leader work. I've heard you uh, through this entire interview thus far, you have you have referenced that several times. I'm going to take responsibility and ownership to make this relationship work. Is that something that you see a lot of staff pastors uh, doing, or is that something that is just kind of unique to, to, to you personally? Yeah, it's, it's, it's how, it's how I've always uh, experienced ministry, but as I continue to gain relationships with people and hear from other churches, that that's not the context. And I cannot imagine being on a staff where I'm not close um, with my senior leader. And, and you have to be careful with that. Um, A lot of people would say, don't do that. But if I don't, if I don't, man, it's, it's like, if my senior leader struggling um, in pain or hurting or something's bothering him, why would I not either desire to alleviate it or be next to him side by side saying, I'm with you, I'm praying for you. Um, I th- those interpersonal relationships matter so much because first and foremost, I have to know that Darren is for me. And then Darren has to know that I'm for him. And it's that trust and relationship that if I make a mistake, Darren's able to say, Josh, I know this isn't like you. I know this isn't your character. And he calls me up. He calls me out, calls me up. And then I've received that from a place, not that I'm not good enough or I'm working for my job. So a lot of that's on the senior leader as well. But I think you have to work for those relationships. And and to be very honest with you, you know, it it made leaving my other places of ministry difficult because we were so close. I'm not afraid of that. And and I'm learning even in this season what, you know, not to be afraid of that. Right. I I've, I've, I've shared with Darren. I mean, when I first got here, Hey, I've got a little PTSD with this or PTSD with that. And we just talk about it. So I always try to have open relationships. And um, because then if Darren comes to me or I have to come to Darren, we have relational equity first foremost with each other. And then the church comes next. So. Man, that's so good. And, and here's the thing too, that I would add to that. If you can't make a relationship work with your lead pastor and you want to lead a church someday, how do you expect to make it work with a board? Because, you know, when you're on staff, you have one lead pastor. When you're a lead pastor and you have four or five, six board members, it's the same. It's the same challenges all the way around, you know. And, 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 and I think sometimes people can take that and say, well, you're a yes man. I don't strive for that mm-hmm. because because I will call up and call out. And, and that's one of the things I've heard Darren say often, hey, coach me up, coach me up. And you have to have you have to have discernment and be led of the spirit to say, is my posture of my heart when I'm going to coach my senior leader up coming from a place of I'm bettering the organization or is it bent towards bitterness or frustration for somebody else? And so is my heart right in this? 
And if he doesn't go with what I propose or disagrees, I'm not walking away in bitterness. I trust that he's the senior leader, the lead shepherd of the congregation and church. And so I come in under that, but I have no problem saying, I completely disagree with that. I think that's wrong. I'm not, I've, one of the things I've learned in this season, and it's not because of something that necessarily happened here, but how I carried the weight of being a staff pastor in Alaska, I would stress and fret and, and, um, so my hair looks decent, okay, on screen right now, yeah, yeah. but I'm balding as a 35-year-old man. And so my wife jokes with me and says, you're balding because of the stress and anxiety and weight that we carried in Alaska, a part of a growing church. And a lot of the stress that I carried, I'd come home and I was in the living room with my family, but I wasn't in the living room with my family and I wasn't talking. And so if I made a decision, then I was stressing, would Mark have liked that? What's Mark going to say? Or with, with somebody on my surf team. Oh, how are they going to take that? Are they going to like me? And so I've had to learn how to carry the weight of leadership appropriately. And the Lord has taught me I'm not responsible for Darren's actions and reactions. I'm only so responsible for what God's asked me to do, what Darren's asked me to do, and how he carries that is up to him. I can't carry that responsibility until we have a conversation about it. And, and that can be hard as a people pleaser. I'm a people pleaser, but I know that that's a healthy way. And that all came out of soul care, being teachable and available. Man, that is so good. So good. I wish I wish somebody had told me that before I got into ministry. You know what I mean? Um, I had a great relationship with my lead pastor too. Loved it, loved him. I still talk to him all the time. But you have to figure some of that stuff out along the way. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. And I wish, I wish it was talked about more. That's really good. One of the things that we do here is as our leadership structure is a little bit different. And so um people are always moving seats on the bus. I mean, I, I don't know if it's where I get bored, so I just like moving, you know. I, I don't know what it is, but we all we all wear many different hats. So um, when you come on to staff or you're, you are new in a staffing role, what are some, what are some questions you ask in the first hundred days? So, I mean, from go, what are the most important questions you asked that you felt were advantageous to get some good results out of the gate? Yeah, I think first and foremost, the most important thing to do is just to observe, to learn, meet people, ask stories uh, of your senior leader, of your staff, of what we've done culture, um, how people perceive things. So that's twofold. That's on staff and that's in your congregation because that'll answer a lot of things too. You might come into a place and say, Hey, here's five things I do differently, but there's, there's probably a hundred reasons why they haven't done that. And so, um, uh, man, I, I wouldn't make any huge big changes in the first hundred days because it's processing the whys, the ins and outs. I'm not saying it's right, but you have to gain also credibility with people. So when I came to Spring Creek, uh, our senior leader was new and all the staff were retained. Um, I was kind of coming into a new position. I came from a church that was much larger and I came from a church where I was the executive pastor over a staff of 25. When I came here, I was just part of the staff. And so you know, I could have led from a place of blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I probably didn't do it all right. But it was, hey, just learn, ask, ask questions here, because there's a culture. Every church has a culture. Uh, every staff has a culture. And what is that? Understand it. Because then when I can hear a story behind why 
let's say Anthony acts a certain way, or why does Anthony not want to go to lunch? Or why does Anthony, you know, always have 15 pages worth of notes? There's a reason why Anthony's like that. And when I can better understand Anthony, I can better understand how to work with Anthony um, or anybody else, vice versa, right? Um, you know, why why don't we have video announcements? It's 2020. Why don't we have video announcements? Why are we doing them live? Okay, well, there's a reason. We've tried that before. So it's just learning. And that's probably, you know, I mentioned earlier, my, my daughter asked questions and I ask, and that just comes from the place of how I'm wired. What's the why? And then we can begin addressing some of the things because then it's, you know, then you learn, I learned this from a youth pastor that I served with in Alaska, very passionate. And I was, you know, I full of gusto and wanted to change things. And I'm just like, well, why, why shouldn't we, we should do this. And here's five reasons why he said, man, and he was older than me, probably about five, six, seven years old, older than me. And he said, you've got to learn what Hills worth dying on. What's the most important thing. And what are the other things that you can choose to deal with later? Um, and that's a really valuable lesson that I've tried to hold on to over the years. That's really good. What with you being in family ministry, specifically next gen, you know, what are some things that excite you about the next gen ministry uh, that's going on right now, Big C Church, and what was a thing or two that kind of concern you? I think one of the biggest things is how even just that terminology has become popular, next gen. I think mm -hmm. people are beginning to look at kids and student ministry as a whole and how can we work together. One of the one of kind of the cultural terminologies that we had in Alaska was we don't have silos here. So we don't just have kids ministry. We don't just have youth ministry. We talked about being circles rather than dots. A dot says, I, I'm the youth pastor. I only do youth ministry. Um, uh, but we said, man, we don't, we're not siloed. We're together in this. And so how can the local church kids and youth ministries, whether it's full-time, part-time, or uh, volunteer driven work together to minister to the family. Um, obviously 15, 20 years ago, uh, the whole orange movement of saying, Hey, how do we come alongside parents to help equip them to be the main spiritual leaders of the church? Um, I think that parent ministry has to be more of a whole church view. A lot of the stuff I believe is focused at kids, pastors being the ones to resource parents. But I think the church as a whole has to say, Hey, we're spring Creek assembly. And from the top down, how are we resourcing families mm, good. together with kids in ministry together with student ministry? So working together, because you might have families in your church that have a kid in fifth grade, which, which is elementary kids in ministry and a kid in, in 10th grade, which is youth. And if you have two different systems and philosophies and plans, it's not streamlined for the family, right? So that's exciting. The other thing is I think now more than ever, parents are more, are trying to be more intentional with their kids, the care of kids. And I'm not saying across the board, but when you talk about, you know, parents, you know, caring about their health and what they're eating and what they're watching and things mm -hmm. like that. They're, they're, they're more saying, Oh, I know that I should be doing better or rather than just letting kind of kids raise themselves. So how do we harness that? 
as the church to teach them that just as intentional as they are with what their kids eat and wear and how they're learning in sports, extracurriculars, that those decisions are all important. But the most important decision is how they're spiritually forming their kids and giving them processes that will fit into their already weekly rhythm rather than something different. I think a dynamic of that is helping parents realize that they too can take the lead in their spiritual development. That's part of that spiritual formation. A lot of times, right, people rely on us to spiritually feed them. So I think from the adults, we're teaching them that, no, you take leadership of your spiritual walk. I've seen you guys do that there at JFA uh, in your Bible reading plans and people being involved. So you're doing that. So then they get their feet and muscles under them. They know that yeah. they can do it. So they don't feel inadequate of doing it with their kids and students. Um, what concerns me the most is maybe we're not being as intentional as we should be. You think mm -hmm. out there, uh, and we know this, it's 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 a statistic that's shared for decades. You know, if you can get a kid between the ages of 10 and 12, that's when they make their decision to follow Christ. Hey, that's really cool. Um, but media and entertainment and the world knows that as well. And they're trying to get the kids worldview shaped at a young age. And we we don't say in a way of fighting back, oh, let me grab my kids and keep them under my wings. It's let me and close them off and put a roof over their heads. It's how can I help walk them through how to engage in culture with a biblical worldview and help redeem the culture in its darkest places. Yeah. And that's going to be a real challenge. And we have to take that serious because uh, I know every generation says this, but this is really for our kids. They are yeah. going to have to face things that we don't even have a concept of. You know, I saw the questions that we get the other day where it said uh, most teenage uh, 20, I think 24.5% of teenagers yep. identify within the LGBTQ community. Um, yep. It's bonkers. And so we have to teach kids at a young age and even younger about their sexuality, about how God designed them and created them. And so I think, and I can be this way. I can be wired to say, oh, I have an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old. I, I shouldn't be talking about sexuality, but how can you begin to lay the foundation of that in an appropriate way? Yeah, it's really tough. And the thing I'm struggling with is how do I communicate to my son the truth and to maintain that standard while not being mean? Yeah, because that's really tough, you know, and it's very, very hard to hold that line sometimes, you know, where where you want him to hold the truth and not buy into the lies, but at the same time, you don't want There's to a great book out there real quick, just on this. It's called A Practical Guide to Culture, Helping mm -hmm. the Next Generation Navigate Today's World. Um, and it talks through all of those pieces. I read it um, personally probably about eight years ago, and then I came to our staff uh, in Alaska, and I said, we should really read this together as a staff because it's so important. Our seniors pastor, the same guy who said, hey, I have time for everything. He's, you know, he's 65. He's thinking, why am I reading a parenting book? Yeah. He read it with us. He was so blown away. He bought three of them, sent one to each of his kids and wrote a handwritten letter to them about how important that book is to them and raising their kids. So it's really good. Yeah. I will definitely read that because that that's a that's a real challenge that I'm not sure any of us are equipped to to handle. 
man, I want to be cognizant of your time. Uh, and so I want to kind of skip down to, to a couple different questions, probably more talking about leading the team, so to speak. Um, you know, one of the things that I kind of experienced, I think as a staff member, and now I'm starting to see this as even a lead pastor is that longevity is important. I think, you know, that I think we all know that, but as you are in one place for longer, your roles and your responsibilities continue to increase. And so those additional responsibilities can sometimes dampen inspiration. So how do you keep fresh? How do you keep the inspiration coming? So you don't just recycle the same things over and over again in your ministry uh, and in your personal life. Um, <clears throat> I think first and foremost, it's, you know, just the desire to learn and grow. Um, and I think what dampens that the most is being a copycat. Um, if your ministry and your church is based off of what this particular church is doing and that particular church is doing, and so you're only doing that, then you're not operating in the creative or inspirational. Now, I'm not saying, and I'm the big, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of going to other leaders, other churches and learning what they're doing and saying, how does that fit in our context? So when our church was growing in Alaska, we went from one service on Sunday to five services on Sunday. We never added a service on Saturday, which a lot of churches do because we just knew in our context of the culture of our city, Saturdays, people wouldn't come. So we would just be killing ourselves. So I think you have to say, you know, just to learn to read, I'd read a lot. Uh, you know, I was in, I was in Bible college before I was reading at James River leadership college. I thought I don't have enough time to read. And when I started keeping track of my time, and this is why I'm passionate about time management, when I did when I did a block every 30 minutes, what am I doing? I realized I was watching Sports Center three hours a day. Two of those hours, they're exactly the same as the first hour. I was just wasting time. So I, I challenged myself to read 12 books, one book a year, other than what I was, and that sparked it. And so I just love to read and learn and grow. Um, the other thing for me to be inspired is storytelling, finding out people's stories and hearing how the Lord is working in their lives. And, and, and I'll be very honest with you, this is new. This is fresh. This is hot off the press. I just had the thought this week popping in my mind, going into the fall, planning and prepping for fall of 23, thinking about 24. I just had this thought, I'm kind of tired of doing this. It's, you know, you every year you have Christmas, Easter, groups launch, egg hunt, this, that, and the other, and you kind of get into that rhythm. And so I had that thought, man, I'm kind of, I don't, is this just asked myself that. And I, I reminded myself, I've experienced it all these years. The new people coming to our church have not experienced it. Hearing their stories and finding out, I, I had a hard time when I came to Edmond with, with just processing, God, why did you call us here? Why did you bring us here? It wasn't a move for us to come home. We're, we're both from here, Lindsay and I. A lot of people thought, oh, you left Alaska, couldn't handle it, um, and you had to move back home. That wasn't the case. God called us here. And so I was saying, why did you call us here? Mm -hmm. um, because, because in Fairbanks, Alaska, 96% of the people in our city were unchurched. Um, and we were heavily involved in, in ministry across the state. Um, and, and I moved to Edmond. Greg Groeschel has three churches within a five-mile radius of me. Henderson Hills is down the street, 3,000 people. There's a church on every corner here. Why am I here? And it took a year for me to hear the Lord say to me, activate dormant Christians. 
Our culture, at least here in Edmond, and I would say the same potentially much of Oklahoma, is just going to church as an accessory to the lives of people. They're not spiritually engaged in their formation and growth. And so it's captivating them and inspiring them to follow Jesus in a way that causes them to want to be formed like him. And so I have to hear the stories of people, connect with people, find out where they're at to be reminded of all the other detailed organizational things that I'm doing that I might find monotonous, but I say, well, how is so-and-so going to engage with this? Or how will this change the family dynamics of so-and-so and be reminded that there's people, there's life change behind the things that we do. Man, that's so good. That's so good. And and I love what you said. We have to remember, too, that they haven't always experienced everything we have. And so sometimes we feel like we've done this 100 times and yet they've never experienced it. And and keeping that fresh will help us to maybe activate dormant Christians. And that's that's really good. What about your team? You know, how do you how do you spark creative um, uh, thinking in your team? How do you keep them fresh? Not not just yourself personally, you know, because, again, our, our teams are a lot a lot like we are. They have a lot of things going on. Uh, they also have to get geared up for Christmas again, you know. So how do you how do you harvest fresh ideas? How do you engage them to to come up with fresh ideas? Like how do you keep them inspired? What what are some things you do there? I think we're real intentional with evaluating how did an event go? How did this season of spring groups go? Uh, how how are the services? Uh, you know, one of the things that even Darren talked about on Tuesday in Staff Chapel is that embracing our uniqueness. Hey, our culture, our style, who we are is unique to us. We can't try to be like everybody else and embrace that uniqueness and in that uniqueness, evaluate why we do things and then and then say, hey, what's a better way to do it? How can we create more buy-in engagement? And it's not just a numbers game. One of the things that we did um, about a month ago as a pastoral team is define what our measuring sticks are to our metrics. A lot of people, um, you know, measure based off of giving and attendance and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that's really important. Don't get me wrong, but we decided that our measuring stick was first and foremost going to be driven out of um uh, here, I'm bringing it up right now. So we wanted our measurables to come out of how do we measure our hospitality? How do we measure family life? How do we measure spiritual formation? How do we measure our invite culture? And how do we measure lid lifting with people in our ministries? And so so we're three years into Darren's leadership. And so, you know, we, we said, hey, we're not going to be driven necessarily by numbers, although we want growth and we see momentum. But we we didn't have a measuring stick. And this is one of the things where I came to Darren and kind of did that 360 degree leadership thing. I, I, I identified, OK, we're not sitting around and talking metrics all the time, but I, I feel like we're just going through the motions and we don't have goals. How can we divine, uh, define healthy and appropriate goals where we can begin measuring and then evaluate from that? And so we sat down as a team and he said, OK, 
okay, I'll, I'll think and pray about that. So then he came to the team and said, hey, here's five ways that we're now going to begin to measure and define our goals. And so then each department takes those five things and we're beginning to come up with systems that'll help us measure the hospitality of our church, uh, the family life of our church, the invite culture of our church. Man, that is so good and and good on both fronts. First off, that's a fantastic idea. You know, what are the measuring sticks? That is a, that is a verbiage I've never thought of before, but mm-hmm. makes instant, you know, instant clarity on what it is that we're, we're defining here. And that's so good. And then the second thing is, again, you see that dynamic with, with you on staff, with your senior leader and, and everybody's better together because, you know, that culture, that culture of 360 degree leadership is, is healthy right. and is fostered. So good. So good. Man, I, like I said, I want to be cognizant of your time. It's already a little bit after where I want to turn you loose from. This has been so good, man. I cannot. Thank you so much. I, I can't say thank you enough um, for taking time just to talk uh, with me, of course, via to our staff. And so, man, we are very grateful for your time. And, and, and you put some intentionality and some thought into these questions. And so I really appreciate you doing that, my friend. So much. It's, it's been a joy. Can I pray for you and your staff? Yes, please do. I'd be honored. Father God, I thank you so much for Pastor Austin and Charity. God, the whole team at JFA. I thank you for the things that you're doing in and through them. God, to be a blessing to rural rural America, specifically in J. God, I know that there's a lot of difficulties and hardships and contextualities that we don't even understand being in the metro here ourselves. But God, I thank you for the passion and the vision that you've given Pastor Austin and Charity. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to birth that in them, grow them. God, help them to take JFA to new heights for the purpose of changing, God, their community, their county. I know some of the statistics, I'm familiar with them, God. And a lot of times we look at numbers. But God, you've called people to surround Pastor Austin and Charity, to lift their arms, to encourage them, and to be battle mates and pushing back the darkness. God, bringing people to the light, rescuing people, redeeming families. God, you've situated that church across from the elementary school and the high school and the middle school. God, you've placed them there. And I just pray, Lord, that you would use them as they meet together, as they plan together, as they dream together. I pray that they would love each other more deeply than ever before, that they would be for each other, that they would care for one another, God, that they would invest themselves into each other as a team, because it's from that, God, the overflow of that is their, their congregation sees it, their people see it, their city sees it. You're doing that, but I pray that you would draw them to higher levels in that, God. Be with them and guide them, direct them. God, in closing out 2023, looking to 24 and beyond with their intentionality, the mission that they have. I thank you for it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. 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 Man, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate your heart. Now you love everybody and you love the church. Man, thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother. It's been great.